0: The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. When I was 13 years old, it was um, just after my grandfather had passed away, my dad came to me and he said, hey, I'm going to be going over to your grandfather's house and I'm going to be kind of like, we're going through his stuff. And so I'm hoping to bring something back uh, out of his stuff for you to remember him by. And uh, kind of an heirloom, although I probably didn't know that term when I was 13. And when he said that, I, I remember immediately I thought about one thing that my grandfather had that I hoped would be the thing that my dad would get and bring back to me. He had in his uh, study, he had this study, and in that study, he had this wooden plaque, and on the plaque, he had this huge bowie knife. And had this huge blade and this, like, wooden handle. And as, like, a little kid, I used to look up. It was mounted there on the wall. And I thought, man, that thing is so cool. And so in my mind, I'm hoping that my dad is going to come back, and he's going to say, hey, this is to remember your grandfather by. So my dad leaves later that day. I get home from school, and dad comes up. He's got, a, like, a brown bag with something in it. And he says, hey, I got something for you to remember your grandfather by. And I said, oh, did you get the knife? He said, no, no, I gave that to your cousin. And I was like, Like, well, he's like, but I think I've got something even better. Here's what I got for you. He pulls out this stack of books. He says, I've got for you your grandfather's coin collection. That was my reaction when he said that to me. (laughs) I said, coin collection? Okay, I'm I'm 13 years old. Like, what do I want with these old rusty pennies? Okay, I'm not what am I that's worth exactly 27 cents, that stack of books right there, okay? I, I didn't want the coin collection. But here's what I came to find out. A couple years ago, I found out that one of those nickels is worth $18,000. Nah, I'm totally kidding. It's not worth that (laughs) at all. That would be awesome, okay? But no, it's worth five cents. It's a nickel, okay? What do you want from me, okay? My motto is if you don't have a good illustration, just make stuff up, okay? So that's kind of what I do sometimes. So anyway, I got this coin collection. In fact, it's in the attic. Maybe I should go look and see if any of them are worth anything. I don't know. But um, I got the coin collection. I was a little bit disappointed. But maybe you have in your family an heirloom that got passed down to you. So maybe you've got your grandmother's china or like a teacup or something like that. Or maybe your grandfather or your abuelo had a ring that he always wore. And now now it passed down to you. You have that. Maybe it's a picture of one of those big family Bibles. Some families have these like gigantic Bibles that get passed down from generation to generation. Okay, maybe you have that kind of heirloom. And it's something tangible that you remember like the generations by. You remember that person that gets passed down. It's something tangible that you get in your life. Now we're talking through uh, in this series, it's called Generations. And we're asking this question, what are we passing down? And we're kind of squaring up to this truth that no matter what, no matter what God has planned for our lives, the most important, like the biggest impact, whether we like it or not, whether we've realized it or not, the biggest impact that we're going to make is the impact on our kids, our future kids on our kids and grandkids, like the biggest impact we're going to make are those people that we are imprinting on their life right in the immediate context of our families. That's the biggest impact that we're going to make. And so there's a level of responsibility that we have for our kids. Now you may say, look, it's not that I don't have kids. Like I'm not even dating anyone. I'm not even like close to that season of my life. But this is so important. This is the most important impact that you're going to leave. It's wise to start thinking about some of these concepts now. You may be on the other end of the spectrum. You may be saying, look, my kids are out of the house. They have kids. Man, this is so important. There are still things that you can do in your life right now to sharpen and be more intentional because you're not just leaving a lineage. You're leaving a legacy behind. And so we've been talking about this. Here's the thing, it's not what the Bible says is it's not just our kids that we're responsible for. We're responsible for their kids and their kids and their kids and their kids. We're responsible, according to the Bible, for our generations. Now that is a huge responsibility on our shoulders that we have to think about, okay, what can we do now to be responsible for that? So we've been talking through this series, we've been looking at, One section of the Bible, it's the first five books of the Bible, they make a unit, it's often called the law. Sometimes those five books are called the Torah, they're also called the Pentateuch. We've been looking in those first five books of the Bible at different passages and here's what you find in this section of the Bible. It's called the law because in there you're learning what God's expectations are for humanity. They're his laws. It's not just this empty do's and don'ts of what we should and shouldn't do. He's saying, as the inventor of humanity, here is how the the way I designed for you to live and to thrive. So So we look at these and we learn about the character of God. And we learn how we can be responsible for our generations and take up this incredible task. So we're looking in the book of Numbers this morning. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can open to Numbers. We're going to be looking at chapter 15. Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Chapter 15, verse 37. This is one of the laws God gives to his people Israel. And it may seem kind of random, this law, but... It's actually one of the most famous laws in the entire section of the Torah or the law. So let's look at this. It's Numbers 15, verse 37. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their... What's that word right there? Throughout their generations... And to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. All right, now here's the law. It, it's kind of weird for us, like almost 3,500 years later, to hear this law. Here's the actual law. It has to do with their clothing. He says, what I want all of you to do, all of my people, if you're part of the people of Israel, he says, I want you to create Tassels on the four corners of your garments. I want you to weave them in and then I want you to tie a blue cord to those tassels. So something that they're all supposed to do. He, and, and it's it be, to become part of their culture, part of their clothing that they all wore. Now that seems just completely arbitrary and random to us, but in that time period, tassels like that had a significance. It actually revealed status. Because at that time period, nobles, royalty, priests, the priesthood, they would have tassels on their garments. And he's saying, I want all of you to have these tassels on your garments. And then he said, and I want you to tie a blue cord to these tassels. Now that doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but in this time period, that's a huge deal. Okay, If you have to go find a blue cord or like a blue ribbon... You could go to any number of craft stores around in this community, and you could go to this ribbon section, and you could find tons of different, any shade of blue you wanted. You could find big ribbons, little ribbons, ribbons with patterns, polka dots. I realize it sounds like I do a lot of ribbon shopping. I really do not. I just, I, someone told me once, okay? Um, you can find, that's easy to find in our culture. You can find fabric that that is dyed any color you want very easily. But in this time period, to have a a blue fabric, you'd actually they they would go, those who sold this kind of fabric, they would go to the sea, they would have to capture a certain type of sea snail and extract from it um, some of the juices for lack of a better word, and they would use that to dye the color of the fabric blue. So to get blue fabric was extremely expensive. So I want you to think of this symbol that he's wiring into their culture. It's this, these tassels. It shows a high status, and it shows actually a kind of a luxury. Now here's the interesting thing about this. This uh, practice has been passed down through the generations, and actually for those modern-day uh, people who uh, follow the Orthodox Jewish faith still wear tassels under their clothes. Maybe you've seen something that looks like this. This would be a modern depiction of that. That they're called seat seat," is what that's called, and they wear actually a garment under their clothes so that they can still follow this law here in the book of Numbers. So here's what God's done. He's literally woven into their culture. He's woven it into their culture, something tangible, a practice, a habit. It's woven into their clothing for a particular reason. Now, why did he do this? Let's look at this. Let's go to the next verse. It's in uh, verse 39. Look what God says. We're going to finish out this passage. Look what he says. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them. Now, watch this. Not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all the commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, if you're like me, you're reading through that passage, you're like, "Oh, this is a nice little passage about tassels." And then the passage gets PG-13 like really quickly in there, okay? It all of a sudden it seems like God gets like really intense and really gritty. Okay, so What's he doing? How does this passage play out? Let's just break this down a little bit at a time. The first thing is he says, I've given you these tassels. It's not just a fashion statement. It's not just fashion that I care about. It's a symbol. It's a habit. It's Something tangible that I want you to do. To remind you of Something. It's not even for other people. It's not like, hey, look at my tassels, look at my status. It's not for other cultures to see you. It's for you to remember something. He says it's for you to remember the commandments of your God. Remember, notice at the end, he says, I am the Lord your God. It's to remember the commandments of the Lord your God. Here's what's going on here. There's like a a relationship between God and his people that's happening here. God and Israel, they have this covenant relationship. It's sometimes the metaphor he uses is like a marriage. He says, there's this covenant relationship here. He says, here's how this works. You're my people, so I have this glorious plan that I'm working out through you and through your history. And then he says... And you're my people, so what that means is, and I'm your God, so what that means is I have these ways that I want you to live. I have these commands, these expectations for you to be holy, to set yourselves apart as being in this relationship with me. So I've given you these commands. And he says, and and to remind you, this is so important to remind you of these commands and who your God is. I've given you these tassels. So every day, every time you put on your clothes, in in the rhythms of your life, every day you have these tassels to remind yourself of these commandments. And then all of a sudden it seems like God gets like either angry or inappropriate or all of a sudden he says, because your tendency is to follow your heart and your eyes and if you're doing that, it's like you're whoring after those things. You read it, you're like, yikes, that's like, what's that language about? Well, here's what he says. He's saying, your tendency is to go after the things in your heart and in your mind. Whatever you feels right to you, whatever's in your heart you're trying to go after, whatever seems right, you perceive is right, you're going after, that's going to be your tendency and you're going to need reminders to come back to what God says is right. Man, just time out for a second. Isn't that absolutely vital for our culture in particular? Because the doctrine of our culture, what our culture preaches, and it doesn't even realize it's preaching this, what our culture preaches is the, literally the exact opposite. Here's what it says. Follow your heart. If Find out what's true for you. How do I know when it's time? You'll know when it's time. Just look into your heart. Be true to yourself. Do you realize the doctrine of our culture is saying deep in the recesses of your heart is what's really true. You just have to have the perception to hear what is true for you and to follow that. But do you realize what the Bible's saying? What actually God, the one who invented humanity, is saying? Don't follow your heart. He's saying the opposite. He's saying, in fact, take the truths that I'm giving you as the one who invented everything. Conform your heart to these things. Change your heart, change your mind. Conform, submit your heart and your mind. Submit what you perceive is right, what you feel is right. Submit that. Allow it to be transformed by the commandments of God. And that's such a difficult thing that you need a tangible daily reminder, physical in your the rhythm of your life, to constantly rechannel yourself back to being a worshiper of God and submitting your life to him. And then he says this. He says, because if you don't, you're whoring after those things. Now, what's the deal? Is God just being, like, ugly? No, read this through what the scripture reveals, what the Bible reveals as the character of God. He is a loving, protective father. With that said, what he's saying here is actually probably worse than what you think he's saying. Because he's not saying, he's not just saying this. When you go do what you want as opposed to what you think is right, as opposed to what I think is right, God is saying. You're not just, he's not saying you're simply cheating. It's like you're cheating on me with a prostitute. That's not actually what he's saying. He's saying when you choose to just follow after your heart, you are prostituting, he's saying to Israel, Israel, you are prostituting yourself. He's saying to Israel, you are becoming a prostitute. Now, why is he saying that? He's not just being ugly. He's not just being, it's not God being inappropriate. This is God trying to protect them from a reality. Think about it like this. Our worship is the most intimate part of our life. What we worship what we say that is my chief goal. That is where I, the source of my happiness, my acceptance, my purpose. Whatever it is that we worship, our idol, that is the most intimate part about ourselves because that determines how we use the most intimate parts of our lives. So let's work, let's look at it like this: If pleasure is my god, if pleasure is my idol, if really like. that's the number one thing. I'm just trying to enjoy this life and enjoy myself in this life. Then I'm going to take every category of my life, all the most personal, intimate, delicate parts of my life, and I'm going to use them in that direction. So if pleasure is my goal, then I'm going to work hard all week just so I can party and play on the weekend. And then one is just a means to the end. So all of my time is spent in order to play and for hedonism, for personal enjoyment, for pleasure. So I work and I live for my vacations. It's going to be how I spend my time, how I spend my money. It's going to be what's guiding how I use my sexuality. All the most intimate things of my life. And he says, here's what it's like. It's like you're using, you're you're giving the most personal, intimate, delicate parts of your life. You're using it to try and get something that's not worth these personal, intimate things in your life. It's like you're selling yourself for those things. It's like if my God is success, I know that I'll have reached it in my life if I can just get to this level of success. So what I do is I spend all my time working for success, which means I'm gonna have broken relationships all throughout there. I may have a broken family, estranged children, maybe a string of broken marriages because I'm giving my time not to those things but to success and I'm spending my money trying to demonstrate that I'm successful and I may be even using my sexuality to try and gain success. And in the end... That God, is success an actual being that's going to care for your soul? No, it's not real. It's fake. It's empty. So at the other end of that, that pursuit of success, I've given up all of the most personal, intimate things of my life, and I'm going to be empty, and I'm to, at the other end, I'm going to have retired, and I might be playing golf somewhere on a nice golf course because I hit success, and I'm going to be alone and empty and wondering if I wasted my life because I used up the most intimate parts of my life to try and get something that in the end leaves me empty. It's that pursuit of pleasure, and at the other end of that weekend of partying, at the other end of that sexual experience, at the other end of that that vacation that I've been looking forward to for so many weeks, I just feel so empty, and I feel so used. He's gently saying, worshiping something other than the Almighty God, it's Please, he's saying, don't go into that. You're prostituting yourself into that. You're going to be giving up the most intimate things of your life to try and get something that's not worth it. And then he ends this section where he says, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. And then he repeats it. I am the Lord your God. Do you notice that language? Because we talked about it a couple weeks ago. He's revealing the, his personal name to them. The word Lord, when you see it in the Old Testament in all caps, it's his personal name, Yahweh. And it's linked with him saying, when Moses asked him, Who are you, God? He says, I am. And then he said, Yahweh, which is linked to that, that verb. It means to He is, God is. So, in other words, who is God? He's the one who actually exists. He's not a fake God. He's not a false God. He is the one true living God. He is God. And he's saying, I'm the only one that everything else is fake. It's going to leave you. It's going to make you feel empty. He's saying, I am the one that you can entrust your worship to. I am the one that made you and designed you. And I know I have plans for you. And I want to protect you. And I, I want to walk you through this life. I've got a glorious plan for your life. He says, I am, I'm the one that, is, that you can offer your worship to. And he's warning them. See, do you see the warning in here? In fact, I might say, if we're here... The area, most likely the area of brokenness in our life the most, maybe the area we're struggling with the most, we find the most confusion or brokenness over, probably has to do with our idol in our life. It's somehow our idol has let us down. We've looked to find it for security, for happiness, for joy, for acceptance. And it's not, It's empty. There's only one being who can do that. So I want you to see what God does here in this passage because it's beautiful. He says, I'm giving you these tassels. It's a tangible reminder, a habit. Every time you put on your clothes, it's a tangible habit so that you know, you you are automatically, regularly sending your worship back towards God, which is the only place that you're gonna be deeply satisfied, the one who made you offering your worship to God. But did you notice what the symbol is? The symbol is a symbol of privilege, right? These tassels. It's a symbol of status. It's a symbol of luxury. It's, just, it's, a, it's a symbol of, of, of uh, that he's saying, "I, the God of the universe, has a relationship with you. These commands are for your good. They're drawing you into worship. It's for your good." See, the most important thing that we could get right in our entire life, the most important thing is realigning our worship to the one who created us. What could be more important than that? Aligning our life in worship. In fact, we've been going through this series called Generations, and the first week, what we talked about is we talked about we're not just leaving a lineage, we're leaving a legacy. It's the most important thing. And think about this, the most important thing of any other attribute, of anything else you can leave behind, the most important thing for your children and your children's children is that they could be worshipers of God. I mean, is there anything else that could be as important as that? What could be more important than living so strongly and teaching so strongly and demonstrating so strongly to my children and my grandchildren and so that it flows down, that there's a, a, a tradition in generations, a legacy of worship to their Creator? I mean, eternity is at stake. The most important thing we could possibly leave behind is our worship for our children. See, and, and what God does is he says, okay, I've given these tassels so that you will, be, you will be reminded of your worship, but it's not just for them, is it? The tassels, right? The tassels are for their generations. He says, I'm weaving something practical, tangible, a habit, physical habit, so that your generations will be led back to worshiping the one true almighty God. Let's look at it like this. Our, our habits... Our habits become what you and I do. Our habits, they become what's normal to our kids, right? What we choose to do, what our habits, I mean, our kids are watching us. So Scarlett, right now there's this thing, my, my three-year-old will be like walking, and then I'll, I'll want to stop and tell her something, so I'll squat down so I can get at eye level. And then she walks up and she squats down next to me. See, like, our kids, okay, you, you know that phrase, do what I say, not what I Okay, do what I say, not what I do, we'd love for that to work, wouldn't we? That doesn't work. We know the vast majority of what our kids, are, what we're passing down to our kids, is the vast majority, the, almost all of it is not what has been taught. It's what has been caught, right? They're sponges. They're just picking up what we're doing. That Those habits, our habits that we choose to have in our life, they, they will become what's normal to them. Let's put it like this. We're going to put this up on the screens. Think about it. The habits in your life right now, the habits in your life become the culture of your children's family. And that kind of a scary thought. The habits, the things that you choose, the regular rhythms, the things you celebrate, the things you spend your time doing, the things you talk about, your tendencies, the habits that you choose to do, whatever your tassels are, the habits in your life, they will become the culture of your children's family. That becomes what's just normal to them. Maybe you've heard the old story about the the woman that was um, baking the ham and she, she gets this, ham and she's, she cuts off the edges of it and then she, she puts it in the pan and she's about to, to cook it and, and she's done this for years and finally the husband, he just, he's trying not to meddle. You know He doesn't want to start that fight but he just can't help it anymore. He says, hey, why do you cut off the edges of the ham? And he's, and she, he's like, I think you can eat that. And she's like, no, that's how you cook ham. And he says, no, no, I, why did you cut that off? I don't, I'm not sure you need to cut that off. She's like, no, that's how you cook ham. That's how, my mom always cooked ham like that. He's like, well, maybe you should just ask your mom why she did that. She calls up her mom, hey mom, why do we cut the edges off the ham? And she says, that's that's what you do, that's how ham is cooked. And she says, but why? Okay, have you heard this story before? She says, why do you do that? And then then she says, I don't know, and so we call grandma. So she calls grandma, grandma, why do you cut the edges off the ham? She says, because I never had a pan that was big enough to fit the ham in it. (laughs) Habits in our life. The habits in our life become the culture of your children's family. The things that you're doing, your regular rhythms of your family right now. That's just what your kids will accept as normal. So let's just, we're going into the fall, okay? We, it's, you know, it's so busy. I mean, a thousand things are pulling your family in a thousand different directions. And I just want to end this, not just this study, but this whole series like this, this is how we want to end this okay i there's probably a more elegant way to say this, but let's just shoot straight okay what are what are your worship practices? like how are you engaging your church okay I mean and i I know as a pastor, this is at the risk of sounding self serving okay, I get that, but let's just this is this is just the bible saying. God's giving you tangible worship practices to wear every day in these tassels. It's on their clothing. And there's tons of other feasts and festivals and weekly things he put in, like the tangible things that are to redirect. I mean, only God can unseat an idol in your heart, but He can. we can do the tangible things to open up our soul regularly so God can remove the idols. I mean, if we want to be worshipers of God, we need these things in our life, but it's more than that. What we're doing is going to affect our generation. So let me just... Let's just be real, okay? What are your worship habits? What's your involvement, your family's involvement with your church? Because the habits in your life is going to be the culture. It's going to be what's normal for your kids. Here's how we want to end this. I, I want to just show you this, just the strategy of, of your church. Because here's what we're called to do. We are called as a church. Do you know like, the purpose of a church is not to create a, a weekend worship service? That's, that's one vital, important thing about it, but that's not the goal. The goal is for us to become disciples of Jesus, or that ancient word that we use around here, mathetes of Jesus. Our goal is to become these all-in, all-or-nothing followers of Jesus that we, are, we worship God and God alone, and that's becoming a reality in our life. That's our goal And so we've said, okay, Jesus, we exist to make mathetase. That's what you commissioned us to do. So what is a mathetase? As we looked in Scripture, we said, okay, a mathetase is three things. There's three attributes of a follower of Christ or a mathetase. The first one is a mathetase is rescued. What does that mean? It means that, man, the first step in following after Jesus is to realize that he, the Son of God, came down, God in the flesh, on a rescue mission to save my soul that was heading towards an eternity away from God in hell because of my sin because of all the ways I've broken his commandments but Jesus died on the cross suffered on the cross and died and rose from the get, from the dead and what he did not what I do but what he did that action on the cross and his resurrection is what saves me for eternity and i realized he rescued me the first step is that we're rescued and then the fact that he rescued me the rest of my life i've been rescued but i never recover the rest of my life I'm realizing in a deeper and deeper way what that means that he's rescued me and it it helps me grow in my my thankfulness and my love for the one who rescued me. Amathetase is rescued. Amathetase is awestruck. The second attribute is the closer I grow to God, the closer I'm growing to the most resplendent, beautiful, all-powerful being in existence, I can't help but grow in perpetual, greater awe of that being. And that perpetual awe drives my life because as I'm growing in awe, submission becomes so much more obvious. Of course I'm going to do things your way. Why would I do things my way? You are God. So a mathetase is rescued, a is awestruck, and a mathetase is mobilized. He's, just, he's left me on this planet, not to, for him to help me fulfill all my dreams and goals. No, he has a mission and a plan. He's left me on this planet to, to further his kingdom, the message of his love that he wants to rescue humanity. He has called every single one of his followers to be on that mission. Every mathetase has a mission. We are all mobilized. That's what we're called to be and to grow in. And so that's how your church has arranged its strategy. It's just simply we're to make math days. Here's what it looks like. I want to show you a diagram. When you come to, to West Pines, when you come to this church, you come to that first box on the left called the gathering. That's what this is. We gather together It's uh, part of our regular weekly rhythm that we come together each week to worship God. Then the very next thing, is you've been coming here for a couple weeks, a couple months, and you're like, okay, coming, being a part of a church is not being a spectator. It's being a part of that body. So I got to figure out, what do I do next? And so we have a class called Next Steps. Next week, during the 1030 service, we're having a Next Steps class. If you've never been to it, this is the time. This is the time to go. It go, come to the 9 o'clock and then go over to the multipurpose room during the 10.30 service for the Next Steps class or come to the Next Steps class and then go to the 12 o'clock service. And in that Next Steps class, it's a brief class that shows you how you can get involved at the next level in our church. And then here are the categories. Everything else in our ministry falls into one of those three categories. It's either, a, it's either in the category of, being, of growing and understanding that we've been rescued, awestruck, or mobilized. We call those our growth tracks. And here's how this breaks down. In each one of those categories, there's things that we all do, and then there's things that we have opportunities to grow in that category. So go to the next slide. Let me show you what I mean. We're rescued. We, we have the first step is hopefully you come to the realization that Jesus has rescued you for eternity by his death and resurrection. And we want everyone who comes to West Pines to, real, to, to come to that realization that Jesus has rescued them and then eventually Follow in obedience and be baptized. Remember, these are things that, especially like baptism, that that symbol, that's for you to remember to keep your heart, to go back to that time you were baptized and remember what Jesus had done for you. But it's not just for you, is it? It's for your generations. Can you think about this? Think about the power, if you've never been baptized, of getting baptized and your kids seeing you get baptized. Maybe you've been baptized in the next baptism celebration. Can I encourage you? Take your kids... Gather around, show them, help them celebrate, say, hey, isn't that awesome? Let's clap for that person. Begin to weave that into the rhythm of your family that baptism is an awesome thing. That's something, those two things I hope we all do, but then there's two things that we can respond. We've got a basics class. If you say, look, I need to grow in my understanding of my faith, we've got two things that you can jump in to grow in that category. There's something that's going to be starting in our winter quarter. It's going to start in January. It's called a basics class. It's like, hey, I want to know more about just the foundations of my faith. You can jump into that class starting in January. We also have a Mathetase class. There's a group of us here, if West Pines is your church home, there's a group of us who have covenanted together, like signed on the dotted line that, hey, we are linking arms together, becoming Mathetase and making more Mathetase. In fact, tomorrow night we have, once or twice a year, we have what we call a Mathetase Summit, where all of us, the West Pines Mathetase, come together and we talk about what God's been doing in our church and big picture of where we're going next. Mathetase, this is an all call for for all of us to be here either Monday or Tuesday night. But maybe you're here and you say, look, I want to know how I can become a part of that group here at at my church. How do I become a Mathetase? Man, Come Monday or Tuesday night. Come tomorrow night or Tuesday night. Please, come one of those nights and find out how you can take that next step and see where God is taking your church. But there's another category we have here. Awestruck. Want to grow in our awe of God? There's some things that we all do and there's some ways we can grow in that area. The things we all do, we come to services on the weekend. That's for us. It's that rhythm of our life every weekend that, we, that God uses to draw our heart to worship and unseat the idols in our heart that are just going to bring destruction into our life. But it's not just for you, is it? You know, the greatest way, if you've got a child that's about to go off to college or one day go off to college and you're like, man, I just so hope that they find a church when they go off to college. You know the best way to handle that is not just a lecture during that first semester. It's to be, have that be such a regular habit in your family that when they go off to college, it's weird to not go to church on Sunday. It's for ourselves and also our family. Personal worship. You want a child, you want your children to grow up and understand what it means to worship God, maybe you're not only worshiping for yourself, but they see you reading your Bible. But there's areas you can grow. Maybe you jump into a men's and women's uh, ministry. Maybe you, you jump into Financial Peace University. You say, you know what, this fall, I need to grow in this area. I want to hear God's plan for finances. I know I'm going to be surprised that he invented finances. He probably has the best plan. Or maybe you can jump into something like we're doing next, next spring. We're going taking a, a small group over to Israel and just growing in our understanding of God and, and our awe for God. But there's another category. There's, we're, we're all called to be mobilized. There's areas, that we can, things that we can all do and things we can grow. So maybe the first thing is to serve. Man, if West Pines is your church home, if this is your church home, man, what it means to be part of a church is to find a place to be part of the mission. It's not just to be a consumer of what's happening, but it's to be a part of the work that God is doing here. But that's not just for you. It's for that to become something normal in your kids' families. I, I love something I saw. We recently had a, a family come to our church, and, the, and they jumped right in serving. And the dad, his name is Alan, he, he immediately started serving as an usher, has his name badge. And the first time he was there serving, he had his son, who's in elementary school, standing right there next to him. I love that. I love that for his family, serving in the local church is going to be part of their culture. Find a way to serve, and maybe all the positions you can't do with your children, but it's a demonstration to your kids. How about giving? God's called us to financially be a part of, what's, of what he is doing at our church. When I was a kid, my first allowance, I got a dollar every week. And my parents, I was maybe like five, my parents gave me that dollar in dimes, and the reason they did that is they also gave me an offering envelope so that the first time, the very first time I ever received my own money, I was introduced to the idea, okay, we're going to put one dime in that offering envelope and I want you to take your dime to church. And I take it and I put it in the offering plate. We, they passed the plate at that church. and put it in the offering plate. Now, I got to be honest, um, that $1.20 that year, I'm not sure that that did a whole lot to further the mission of the church. But weaving in to the practice of a child The power of financially being a part of what God is doing at work in this world, man, that's powerful. Maybe it's inviting. We're all called to invite. When you give an invite card to that cashier and your child sees it, you're not just reaching out, extending the gospel and inviting someone in, but your child's becoming normal for your child. But there's also ways that we can grow in that. Maybe you jump into a community group. Maybe you say, what are our community groups? Our community groups are the places we go to serve each other. We pray for each other. We're listening ears for each other. We take meals to each other. We're growing in serving each other, and then we serve together. We do service projects, community groups. This, this fall, as you're doing a service project, maybe pick one you can take your kids with you on because the habits you do will become culture in your children's family. Maybe you go, uh, maybe you go on a missions trip. Maybe you say, hey, before my kids leave my home, I've got teenagers. Before they're out of my home, I want them to have gone on a mission trip with me to see the work that God's doing around the world. Or maybe you jump into a foster parent class, talk about a way the entire family gets involved in the mission of the the Lord, the mission of your church. You know that this is a heartbeat for us, is taking those who are needing a loving, godly family into our home. And maybe you say, look, we've talked about it and thought about it. You know that we host at your, your church, West Pines hosts A class for this part of the county. We're hosting that this fall, and maybe you say, "Look, we've thought about it and talked about it. Maybe we just sign up for the class and see what God might be doing in our family. Just find out more about it. At very least, you might find out how to support those who are fostering in our church family." See, here's the reality: the habits of our life that affects what's normal for our our kids' families. It affects the culture of our children's family. It's a simple thing. We look at God weaving a habit, a practice into their culture, into their clothes. What's the culture of your family? Man, church, just to be honest, I mean, we could just end this four part series and be like, oh, okay, good tips. You know, it like, stirred me up, got me a little more excited about thinking about it. But man, do you realize what's at stake? It's our generations. Your children's children's children. Let's rise up as a a church and say, no, we are going to all together take a step forward and be more intentional about what we're doing with our kids because I know if my kids are looking at me and they're absorbing who I am, not what I'm telling them, then the greatest way I could create worshipers out of my generations is to be a true worshiper myself. Can you just take a step forward and grow? Let's grow together, becoming greater worshipers, followers of Christ, Mathetes, together this fall. You may need to say, you know what, I need to take just that first step. This morning, I just need to be rescued. I've been just, I'm far from God, and I just, I want to be once and for all rescued by God. Set it straight, be forgiven, and be saved for eternity. Now let's just start with that step because it might not just save your eternity. It might change the eternal destination of your generations to come. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If that's you, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer this morning. Just pray this right there in your seat. Just say, just between you and God, make these words your words. Jesus, I need to make it right with you today. I've been running from you, but I want to find forgiveness. Thank you for the sacrifice that you did to save me. I want to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.